Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 1. I'm your host, James Laidler, Australian poet and writer. In this episode, we will be turning back the hands of time to take a look at what is perhaps William Shakespeare's most famous and widely recited poem, Sonnet 18. Now, I acknowledge that for some of you, just the mention of Shakespeare is enough to trigger painful memories of high school English classes and of a language that seemed too difficult to comprehend. But in this episode, we will try to stitch up and repair some of those old wounds and show you just how magnificent and stunning the old bard's work can actually be when you give it half a chance. So fear not, let the healing begin. May I present you with Sonnet 18, read by the fantastic Simon Jackson. Sonnet 18 by William Shakespeare Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometimes declines. By chance or nature's changing course untrimmed, but thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest, so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. So to set the scene, I want to say a few words about the historical context and roughly sketch out what a sonnet actually is. Sonnet 18 was most likely written during the 1590s. The sonnet form first entered the English language in the 1530s and 1540s when poets like Thomas Wyatt began translating Francesco Petrarch's poems. Over the intervening half-century, the sonnet became an increasingly popular form, particularly among the aristocracy, who used it to write about their forbidden affairs and to curry favour at the English court. Although there is continuing debate among scholars about when Shakespeare wrote his sonnets, some say it was as early as the 1580s, some say it was as late as the first decade of the 17th century, nevertheless, most agree that they were likely written in the early 1590s, 
possibly when the theatres were closed due to the plague. This places the sonnets in the midst of what C.S. Lewis called the golden age of 16th century literature, placing the sonnets in a period of relative political calm. As for the poetic form, a sonnet such as this one is made up of 14 lines that follow a regular alternating rhyming pattern, which ends in a rhyming couplet. The first eight lines often pose a question or a problem, and the final six lines explore an answer or response. I won't bore you with the technicalities any further, only to say that if you do want a more detailed breakdown of the form, check out our analysis of Ozymandias on the Lit Poetry YouTube channel. One thing I do want to discuss, however, is the importance of the metre or the rhythm within a poem such as this. Shakespeare writes Sonnet 18 in iambic pentameter, a metre he uses throughout his work in both poetry and plays, and the word sounds a little bit intimidating, but it's not. Shakespeare uses the metre so often because it reflects the way people actually talk. The rhythm is made up of soft, hard, soft, hard patterns in the words as they unfold, which mimics the sound of a heartbeat. That's what an I am is. Pentameter simply refers to the fact that each line of the poem contains 10 of these soft, hard syllables. Overall, this rhythm is very smooth sounding and pleasing to the ear, as in this line. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? If I was to butcher that line, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You can clearly hear the iambic pentameter spoken in a more natural way. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. How delicious those words sound. Beautiful, enticing like honey. When Shakespeare changes the pattern of this rhythm within the poem, however, and he does so occasionally for effect, this is very noteworthy. A subtle change to the iambic meter can have a strong impact, such as in line three, in the spondee of two stressed syllables that lie side by side, in the words rough winds. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May. This subtle disturbance of the iam, the soft hard rhythm, is thematically important in a poem concerned with time and decay. The rough winds trouble the perfection of summer. They also disturb the poem's own perfection, the rhythmic way it unfolds in time. The disturbance of the metre models the disturbance that the rough winds inflict on the darling buds of May. And clearly this is stunning writing of an exceptional quality. So I want to move through our discussion of this poem today by doing a traditional line-by-line -line analysis, starting with lines 1 to 6. And they go like this. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's leaf hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. The first four lines of Shakespeare's Sonnet 18 
introduce the broad concerns of the poem and draw attention to some of its literary features. The first line of the poem posits a rhetorical question, asking whether the speaker should equate his beloved to a summer's day. Based on contextual clues in the surrounding poems, most scholars assume that the person addressed in this sonnet is actually a young man. In asking a question like this, the poem asks whether it is fitting to compare the beauty of a young man to something that is esteemed so universally as one of the most beautiful things possible. A summer's day that brings warmth, vitality, hope and happiness to so many. In the following three lines, the speaker offers a series of reasons why the appraisal fails to hit the mark. His reasons are remarkable. The young man, the speaker claims, is more delightful than a summer's day. Why, you may ask? Well, for one, he is described as more lovely and less extreme. In contrast to the heat of a summer's day, he is temperate, moderate and benign. Following on, Shakespeare draws attention to the fact that summer itself is subject to the passage of time and the changing of seasons. Summer emerges from spring and falls into autumn and then winter. Because of this, the buds of gorgeous flowers are shaken by rough winds, which speak of the winter that is inevitably approaching. The perfection summer symbolises has a short lease, and its warm embrace is ultimately fleeting. This worry over time manifests itself deeply in the poem from this point and morphs into a major challenge as the speaker looks for a metaphor or simile that does not imply that his beloved will fade and decay. The speaker inquires in lines 5 and 6 whether the usual tropes and cliches used in the poetry of love can ever adequately portray a beloved's magnificence. At this point in the poem, Shakespeare moves from comparing the young man to a summer's day and instead compares him to the eye of heaven, i.e. the sun. The sun is commonly used in Renaissance poetry as a symbol of exceptional beauty and brilliance. Moreover, the word sun sounds a lot like the word sun spelt with an O. In a literary period infatuated with puns, these two words often intermingled. The radiance of the sun echoing the glory and the supremacy of Christ himself. The speaker pays homage to this tradition by referring to the sun here as the eye of heaven. However, the speaker is once again unhappy with this traditional metaphor. He argues that the sun itself is imperfect. Sometimes it's too hot. Often it's hidden behind clouds, his gold complexion dimmed. Once again, the speaker bemoans the passage of time and its impact on life, frustrated that the metaphor of the sun is actually inadequate. In response to these observations, the speaker's accusations gather steam and his complaints become consistent throughout. He asserts that the traditional metaphors for describing beauty all imply that beauty is itself impermanent. In his quest to reach for an adoration of the beloved that stands free from the clutches of ageing and death, Shakespeare ventures into rather unique lines of thought. The unique lines of thought that Shakespeare 
pushes forward start to emerge in line seven to eight, which read, and every fair from fair sometime declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. In line seven and eight, the speaker provides a summary of the poem's arguments so far. Everything fair eventually stops being fair. It decays, declines, becomes ugly. If line seven serves as a summary statement for the poem thus far, line eight serves to clarify why every fair eventually declines. The speaker specifies two reasons. First, chance. Sometimes, he suggests, people are randomly injured or disfigured, even though one might hope to avoid such accidents. His second reason, though, allows for no escape. The reality being that decay and death come from nature itself and its changing course untrimmed. This line is worth pausing over. The words changing course here refer to the cycles of birth, growth and decay that characterise almost all natural events in our world. The word untrimmed means, in this context, stripped of ornament. The speaker suggests that ornaments, including poetic ornaments like metaphor and simile, serve to obscure the basic facts of life, that everything that's born will eventually die. In attacking the basic metaphors and similes of love poetry, Shakespeare tries to illustrate to his readers what nature's changing course looks like, and it doesn't look good. Nature's changing course will untrim every beauty of its ornaments. In lines 9 to 12, we enter the second section of the poem that is an answer to the problems raised about mortal love in the first section. These lines read, But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fear thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines of time thou growest. In these lines, the speaker doubles down on the audacious claim that the Beloved's beauty is in fact eternal. The Beloved's summer of love is one that never ends. Compared to every fair which from fair sometime declines, the young man will not lose possession of his fairness. He owns it forever. Even death cannot claim the young man. In line 11, the speaker goes so far as to say that death will never be able to brag about capturing the young man. He will never wander in death's shade, a reference to the biblical valley of the shadow of death. These lines are surprising and seem to defy logic. It's not obvious why the beloved is somehow free from death and decay, but in line 12, Shakespeare gives the answer. The young man avoids death because he lives in the poet's eternal lines that is written on the page. As the speaker turns away from the traditional tropes of love poetry, he discovers a radically new analogy. The beloved's eternal beauty is like the undying and perpetual life of poetry itself. How wonderful is that? Academics and experts on literature commonly interpret this as an important moment in the history of poetry, a point at which poetry becomes self-aware of its own inherent powers. The poem here starts to spiral back on itself. The young man's beauty 
may be eternal, but it is only eternal because of the poem. While the poem seems on the surface to be about how beautiful the beloved is, it may actually be just as much about how powerful and central the poem is itself. Lines 13 to 14 read, So long as men can breathe and eyes can see, so long lives this and this gives life to thee. In these final two lines of the poem, the speaker summarises his thoughts. He does so in a very assertive way. As long as people continue to read his poem, the young man will continue to live, and he confidently claims people will read this poem as long as there are people breathing and reading. The speaker has an unbridled faith in the ability of this poem to endure and to continue to interest readers far into the future. And, well, I guess he is right on that matter, isn't he? Hence why I'm reading this poem to you today. So let's have one final listen to the poem. Of course, if you want to access further resources on poetry or support our work here at Lit Poetry, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com or simply subscribe to our podcast. A video clip of this poem is now live on our YouTube channel as well. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sonnet 18 by William Shakespeare Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, And summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, And often is his gold complexion dimmed, And every fair from fair sometimes declines. By chance or nature's changing course untrimmed, But thy eternal summer shall not fade, Nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, When in eternal lines to time thou growest, So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, So long lives this, and this gives life to thee. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.